Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. How are you doing today? Doing good? It's going to be a great day. I'm excited what God has for us. This is our new series, At the Movies. It's going to be a great series because we're going to look at some of the uh, films that we've seen, maybe you grew up with or maybe that you've fallen in love with, that you just think these are the films that kind of define me. And uh, I'm just curious. I want to see who my audience is today. What is your favorite genre of movies? How many of you, it's all about the action movies, all about the action movies. You just like the action. There we go. There we go. All about the action. All right. How many of you, you're all about the comedies. It's all about the comedies. All right, there we go. Now, here we go. How many of you, it's all about documentaries? Like, it's got to actually have happened. There we, oh, oh, we have some really, only like the documentaries, only true movies. Uh, true story. I'll go watch a movie with my wife, and if it didn't actually happen, she's like, this is a dumb movie. It didn't, it didn't happen. I was like, it's the Avengers. It's the Avengers. This could totally happen. Totally. Thor with the hammer and the tree dude Groot. I mean, it was just epic. It was great. Did I just spoil anything for anybody? Eh, who cares? And uh, I love the film. It was great, you know. But we love movies. How many of you, you're into the horror stuff? The genre, horror genre? Any horror fans? Oh, you people are sick. Something wrong. You need preaching. A special message just for you. Just for you. No, I'm just kidding. And how many of you do the thriller? You like, you like the jump. You like the thrill. Okay. All right. You're equally as sick, but not as much. Okay. Equally. You're kind of borderline there and everything. But uh, uh, Jane and I don't do horror and thriller all that often. Matter of fact, I don't do horror well. Wizard of Oz gave me nightmares for years. All right. It just shows you flying monkeys still haunt me in my sleep today. Okay. They're just something about it. But, uh, Sunday, uh, last Sunday, our life group was supposed to meet some things happened where everybody canceled. We had like five or six groups and nobody could make it. So we were like, Hey, let's go watch a movie. We still got the sitter. Let's go watch a movie. So we would go to a theater and the line was really long to go see Jurassic world, the new, the new Jurassic park movie. And we'd get in line. By the time we got up there, they were like, we have a seat over here. And then we got one seat over here. I was like, that works. I don't need to sit by this guy. I don't know. I'm fine. And she was like, hit me a little bit. And I was like, what, what? And, uh, uh, so we started looking for theaters that we might be able to actually get in. So we finally ended up in Morgan Hill. We were able to watch Jurassic Park. And, uh, so we went into the theater. We were sitting there and Jane and I had not watched a scary movie in a while. And now some of you are like, Jurassic Park's not scary. That's just showing you the level of scariness we can handle. We can't handle anything. You ever heard of weak sauce? Like we are weak, weak. Okay. Pixar movies make me cry. All right. It's just like, it, 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 it just doesn't, it moves me. All right. So we were watching the movie and then every time there's like a jump scare, this woman's got a death grip. I'm telling you what, and there's like claws like in my shoulders. I was like, not claws, like talons, like, wow, you know? And I was like, I, I don't have a whole lot of meat on the bone. So I was like, that kind of hurts, you know? And, uh, and then I told her, I was like, man, how come we didn't watch scary movies when we were dating? I, I wish I would have known like that you would jump on me like that. I was like, I, I should have rethought this whole thing about watching scary movies. Now I know why dating couples go watch scary movies. All right. That's, that's what it is. Okay. So I'm slow, but I, I figured it out. So I was like, we're going to go see another scary movie tonight. And, uh, yeah. So we all got our favorite movies, but here's the thing. Some of the movies, they just stay with us. Like we all have that one movie, just kind of like, man, we remember the line. I was telling somebody the other day, they were saying, Hey, where do you get stuff for your messages? And I was like everywhere. I said, I could be watching a movie and a line will stand out. And I, and I got this one quote and it says, even the word hopeless isn't without hope. And people are like, oh, that's a good line. That's a good line. I was like, yeah, that was cartoons with Austin. You know, he just, the cartoon character said it, you know? And uh, the other quote uh, that I got, and I was watching the new Star Wars. The movie wasn't all that great, but the quote was epic. 
quote was so good. It was like, hey, you don't win the war by killing those you hate, but by saving those you love. Whoo, man, that'll preach. That's good. That's good. It was like the whole movie, you don't need to watch it because Leia flying through space. I don't know about you, but that's just kind of like, nah, lame. You know, it just kind of ruined the movie for me. But the rest of it, that one quote, but movies just have a way to grab us. Why? Because movies have meaning. Have you noticed that? Think about Jesus, how he taught. Jesus' method of teaching was he would use a story. And if you grew up in the church, we called these stories parables. And they had a, they were an earthly truth with a heavenly meaning. And so we look at these parables and some people are like, I have to move it. I'm too spiritual to go to a sermon series. I have to move it. I'll be back in five weeks. Well, you're missing out because you wouldn't have liked the gospels at all because Jesus would use a story to communicate life transforming truth. So we can take a story and we can take it. We could teach something that'll resonate and it'll connect. And so today we have Ghostbusters. I, I don't know about you. How many Ghostbusters fan in the house? You grew up, Dan Aykroyd. You grew up with those guys. You know, I mean, just, just good times. And, um, uh, we had a Ghostbusters clip for you. I did not censor it well enough. So the first group got a little bit of, uh, shall we say, colorful language in the clip. Because this is what happens when the pastor does not, I just was like, yeah, it's good. Just find me this clip. And I didn't even think about it. You know, just didn't even think about it. So first service, yeah, it, 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 we had to pray. And uh, that's why all the sound equipment went out, you know, and messed up. God was judging us. So we're not going to show the clip this morning. But next week, we'll make sure to have a clip for you. So just imagine your favorite Ghostbusters clip. And uh, that's it. Because I don't want to offend you. And so we're not going to show the clip. But Ghostbusters has some great lines in it, just some epic lines. One of my favorite in the original Ghostbusters, if you saw it, was the character Rick Moranis, and he would throw a party. And everybody at the party in his apartment was, one was his CPA, one was the guy that does the oil changer. Like, these aren't your friends. These are just your random acquaintances, you know? And it's just kind of just kind of funny just to see this character, you know, just kind of aloof and just kind of just hilarious to see uh, just all the different scenes. But the thing about Ghostbusters is, I think there's a little bit more truth to ghosts than we realize. You say, Pastor Kai, do you really believe in ghosts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I believe that you and I are haunted by three ghosts. I want to put them up on the board for you just so you could see it because there are three ghosts that you and I, we deal with. The first one is the ghost of grudges. You and I deal with the ghost of grudges. That's the first ghost. We'll deal with these ghosts. You say, what do you mean the ghost of grudges? Yes, the ghost of grudges. You say, why? What, what's up with this ghost? If you have your Bible, take it to the uh, book in the New Testament. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's a character. His name is Paul. And Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Okay, He wrote most of the New Testament. And he is writing at the end of his life. And he's going to talk about his life. And he's going to get brutally honest. And we're going to read. If you brought your Bible, you can open it up. Or you can see it. It'll be up on the screen. Notice if you would. Verse number 6. Awesome passage of scripture. It kind of summarizes how our life should be. And he says this, verse number 6. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. He's at the end of his life. This is the last thing he's writing. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Verse number eight. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. 
Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful for me in the ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books, and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. All of a sudden, sounds kind of depressing. At the end of his life, he's recounting. And he talks about Demas. Demas abandoned him. Then he talks about Alexander, this guy who who mold copper. He's like, this guy just did me a bunch of evil. And then he's saying, man, everybody's abandoned me. Sounds like he's dealing with the ghost of a grudge. A little bit of a grudge. At the end of his life, he's talking about these people that have hurt him. And you and I, sometimes we have these grudges that we have. Maybe there was a person, they cheated on you. Maybe there was a business deal that went bad. Maybe there was somebody in your past that bullied you. Or maybe there was somebody at your company and they stole your promotion. Or they said something bad about you. Or maybe one of the friends that you thought would never betray you stabbed you in the back. Or maybe there was somebody who left you. Or maybe there was some childhood thing that happened where your parents abandoned you. And so you've got this grudge and you're nursing this grudge. And if we stopped right here, we would think that, man, Paul's got a grudge, but it doesn't stop there. Notice if you would, verse 17, he says, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom and all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. This morning, how do you let go of your ghosts for good? Because some of us are haunted day in and day out with the ghosts. And these ghosts just keep coming back. And we said, there's three ghosts. And I'm just going to put them out here and we're going to work through them. So you've got the ghost of grudges. The second ghost is the ghost of grief. I before E, except after C. Okay, grief. And uh, then the last one is the ghost of guilt that we deal with. The ghost of guilt. So these are our three ghosts that we are going to work on today. And these are the ghosts that you and I are constantly plagued with, harassed by. And these are the ghosts that'll keep us up at night. These are the ghosts that'll distract us. They'll cause us to be depressed. These are the ghosts that can affect our marriages. These are the ghosts that can affect our employment. These are the ghosts that can most sabotage our life, that constantly just haunt us and torment us. And the Apostle Paul is going to let us know how to deal with these ghosts. And these ghosts, they will haunt you in the present and they will rob you of your joy in the future if you don't learn to deal with them. I say it like this, bust your ghosts or your ghosts will bust you. So this morning, let's dive in. Notice if you would, he brings up two characters. One is Demas and the other is Alexander. Now I was having a conversation on Friday, Austin and I, we were running some errands. And when I have conversations with Austin, I need to think at another level. Okay. You say why? Because Austin is six years old, but he has the mental thinking capacity of a 45 year old adult. Okay. He's just on another level for a young man. And so we were driving and he says to me, he says, dad, what would you rather have family or things? And I said, that's a good question, Austin. I said, Austin, I would rather have family. And he says, yeah, because people are so unique. (laughs) He's six, y'all. He's six. Okay. And he's like, we can always get more things, but we can't get more people. 
Whoa. He's six years old and he already gets it. But here's the thing. When we look at this passage, we see that there's this guy, Demas. And he says, Demas, who used to be with me, he said he stopped following me. Why? Because he liked things more than people. He was all about the things. He was chasing one thing after another. And it seems like Paul has a little bit of a grudge against him. But that's not what's going on here. Paul isn't just bringing up the grudge. And then there's Alexander. Alexander's from the city of Ephesus where Timothy was headed. And Paul takes time to write to Timothy to tell him that God will judge Alexander. That God will deal with him. You see, some of us, when it comes to the grudge, the reason we have a grudge is because we don't think God's ever going to deal with it. We don't think God's ever going to take care of our problem. We think it's got to be up to me. That that person stabbed me in the back. That person cheated on me. So it's up to me to make sure they get what they deserve. But we don't understand that that's not God's plan. I love how David, David in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he was betrayed. His own son tried to take his throne. He's betrayed by his closest friend. And so even David realized something. In Psalms 26, he says, vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Here's the thing. If you're going to deal with this ghost, if you're going to bust this ghost, if you're going to let go of the ghost of grudges, then you have to let go of grudges and I have to forgive those who hurt me. That's it right there. If you're going to deal with this one right here, if you're going to deal with your grudges, you have to let go of your grudge and you forgive those who hurt you. Now this is easier said than done, isn't it? This is the hardest one to forgive those who've hurt us. You don't, and I, and I know what you're thinking. You don't know what they've done to me. And you're right. I don't. You don't know the years of pain. You don't know how much it wounded me. You don't know how much it hurt me. It marked me. I'm forever changed by it. I know. And you will still be marked by it. You will still be affected by it. Unless you forgive. You see why? Because what happens is we allow bitterness into our heart. And once bitterness takes root, then the bitterness turns into resentment. And here's the thing about bitterness and resentment. It only hurts you. You can have all the bitterness and resentment and malice and hatred, and you can just seethe and writhe with it. And man, you can just kind of hate that person. And guess what? You know how that person's thinking? Not about you. They're not. They're not feeling it. And yet we get so worked up about it. And I'm not just trying to minimize your hurt, but here's what I'm trying to say. Paul was deeply wounded by these two characters, wasn't he? But notice something Paul is not doing. Paul is not, notice this. I don't know if you can read that. But he's not passing on his pain. That's what we do. Generations pass on the pain. We hate this family. Our family hates that family. It's kind of, it's just gone on for years because they did something to grandpa or they just said something about grandma's cooking and it just kind of goes on and on and on and daddy dated that girl, that floozy back in high school. So we hate them right now. Yeah, but they sing in the choir at church and, and her husband's the pastor. Yeah, we just hate them. She was a floozy in high school or something, you know, and so we just have nothing to do. And you know how it goes. We pass on our pain. We pass on our hurt to the generations. And who suffers? We want everybody to suffer. We want everybody to feel what we're feeling. Or we can end the generational curse. We could say, it stops with me. And I choose to forgive. You know, you and I, we pray to be like Christ. But here's the thing. We are never more like Christ than when we're suffering. 
And that's what's hard. We say, I want to be like Christ. And God's like, okay, then you're going to suffer because my son suffered for you. I want to be more like Christ each and every day. We're going to know pain. We're going to know hurt. But then we will know deep joy and deep satisfaction and deep love. Because what happens is if we don't deal with this ghost, we begin to pass on the pain. And Paul is not passing on the pain. He's saying, Timothy, don't vindicate me. Timothy, don't try to protect me or give uh, Alexander, these guys, what they deserve. Because why Paul said, I'm leaving Timothy. And Timothy, you're my spiritual son in the faith. Timothy, don't take up my pain. It's my pain. I don't want to pass it on to you. I want to pass on something else to you. I want to pass on that I ran a good race, that I was faithful, that I did what I was supposed to. So, Timothy, don't get bitter. Don't get angry. Now, understand something. Forgiving is not forgetting. Paul has forgiven this person, but has he forgotten this person? Yes or no? No. He wrote it in the Bible, which is going to stand for all eternity. He wrote it down. He remembered. So we're not saying that you forget that person. That'd be foolish. That'd be foolish. If there is something dangerous, we do need to remember it so we stay away from it. So some of us, the reason we don't forget and forgive is because we think, well, then I got to forget about it. No, you don't. You don't have to relive it. You don't have to role play it over and over your mind and get those same emotions. Your mind is so powerful, it can trick your body into feeling the exact same emotions as when the event happened. You say, how do you know that? If right now I started talking about a juicy T-bone steak, medium rare, with a baked potato, with butter drooling and melting over it, and then you got a blooming onion just in front of you, and man, you got a Dr. Pepper, and you can see the precipitation coming off the glass, and then they got a big old slice of cheesecake right there. What's happened in your mouth? It's starting to salivate. You're only thinking about it. You can't smell it. You can't see it, but that's how powerful your mind is. And when you start dwelling on what they did, it's amazing how all of a sudden you start reliving those emotions out of nowhere. So we're not saying forgive and forget. And I don't like when people say, oh, forgiven and forgotten. You never forget. God doesn't expect us to forget. The good thing is that he does. And God does. And also forgiving is not about trusting. No, no. If there was some person who abused and hurt you, stay away from them. You can forgive them, but you don't have to restore the relationship with them. You could say, you know what? You're a toxic person. I'm going to put up barriers, not, not just because uh, uh, you haven't changed, but no, no, I don't trust you anymore. You broke that. You had it, but you broke it. And so forgiveness is not trusting. And I think some people feel like, oh, the moment I forgive them, then I've got to trust them again. You'd be foolish to do that. You'd be foolish to do that. Because it's their nature. Until you see that, wait a minute, they've proved themselves. They have changed. You need to give them time. But here, forgiveness is, it's not about keeping score, but it is about losing count. Notice the Apostle Paul, he said, he did me much evil. He didn't recount every evil thing he did. Notice that? He said, yeah, he hurt me. But he doesn't go into great detail. You see, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. In a good relationship, it's about losing count. It's not like, hey, I know all the things you did, so I got all these grudges. It's saying, no, no, I'm going to lose count. Why? Because I'm going to put this ghost to rest and this ghost to let go of it. I'm going to let go of my grudges and I have to forgive those who've hurt me. And I'm going to forgive Demas. I'm going to forgive Alexander. Yes, it's going to be hard. Do they deserve it? No. But God wants you to love like you've never been hurt. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be able to love like you've never been hurt. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus loves us like he had never been hurt. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. It's not easy. 
But it's one of those things where God is saying, hey, as you grow in Christ, I want you to grow in this. You see, we can't mistreat people and get by with it. God will judge. God will vindicate it. So don't allow people who hurt you in the past to continue to hurt you in the present. Don't do that. But you know how we allow people to continue to hurt us in the present? To keep bringing it up. We need to forgive and let that go. But the other, the other one is this. Number two, letting go of my grief. This is a hard one. You see, the apostle Paul brings up in verse 16, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. And I love that. May it not be counted against them. He's got a grief. He's got the ghost of grief. And yet here's how he does, deals with it. The ghost of grief is mourning a personal loss. And some of us, we may be mourning the personal loss of a loved one, the personal loss of a job opportunity, the personal loss of a relationship, the personal loss of a future that we had hoped for. And so we can, we can all kind of relate to this ghost of grief where we've lost something. And now we may be in a season of mourning where we hurt and we long for something. And some of us, what happens is some of us are stuck in our grief. We're so discouraged. We're so plagued by it. I say it like this. Some of us were haunted by the memories that once were. We open up a photo album. We could see so many good memories. And we're haunted by these memories. And we're not saying to forget those memories. But it's the memories of what once were that brings this hurt and sadness. Some of us were haunted with the memories of what might have been. Oh, if I just would have had more time with that person. If our relationship just would have worked out. If I would have gotten the promotion, my life would be so much better. And so here's this ghost of grief and how it comes in. But here's the thing about grief. When it comes to grief, you can't avoid it. It's amazing how grief can just hit you. How the emotions could just overwhelm you. You can be driving in your car and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the emotion just crashes in around you. Some of us, we deal with depression. And can I tell you what depression is? It just means deep rest. There's something going on in your soul and you need a deep rest. That's what your body's communicating to you. It's saying you need something that's deeper than just eight hours of sleep. You need something at a soul level. And so when it comes to the ghost of grief, you say, how do I deal with the ghost of grief? Here's what it is. It's, I learned to let go of my grief. I trust God with my broken heart. I trust God with my broken heart. Let me read a verse for you. Psalms 147 verse three says, he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. If you're here this morning, you say, my heart is broken. Then it's time we say, God, I'm going to trust you with my heart. I'm going to trust you to heal it. I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do for myself. So you can't avoid it. You can't predict it. You can't prepare for it and you can't fix it. And you feel just so discouraged by it. Emotions just flooding you. I did a wedding for somebody in our church, Rocky and Caitlin, yesterday. And it was so awesome to be a part of their wedding. And I always like to see if I can get the groomsmen or the, 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 the groomsmen to, to cry. I, I'm messed up like that. I just want to see them cry. And so I got, and we did a little uh, huddle. And I said, 50 bucks, he cries. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, easy, easy. He's going down. And uh, so, you know, I like to mess with them a little bit. Just kind of get their head off the emotions and everything that's about to happen. And uh, so we go out there, you know. And I, I walk out first. And I see him coming down. And as he's walking down, he's getting paler and paler and paler. I was like, oh, this one's going to go down and out for the count. 
You know, I mean, he's looking like a ghost, all right? And I was like, perfect for my message. You look like a ghost. I need to take a picture of this. And uh, he was, he was kind of hanging together. And then he sees his, his, his grandma come down. And I, I was like, oh, he's getting whiter. Man, as white as I am. And uh, then he sees his mom come down. And it's getting worse. And I was like, I'm going to grab this guy and hold him up or something, you know? And then here was the, here was the most precious moment. The moment he saw his bride for the first time. Oh, man. That look in a groom's eye where he sees his bride for the first time. You want to get, you want to see some emotion? Look at the guy as he sees his bride for the first time. There's a look in his eye that just says, wow, is this day really happening? And as soon as he saw her, he went down. The emotion just overwhelmed him. He was down, facing his hands. The wedding kind of stopped because he was overwhelmed by the emotion of the moment. And then all of a sudden, tissues are coming. I was like, the wedding hasn't even started. The tissues, the sniffles. I mean, it's all just going. And man, it's just like the waterworks are there. Why? Because of the emotion. He wasn't expecting it. But the moment he saw something, and some of you, it's a song on the radio. It just triggers it. It's a memory that hits you. And you're dealing with this grief, and it's still there. And you're saying, I don't know what to do about it this morning, Pastor. And I'm telling you, take your broken heart to God where he can heal it. Because God takes that heart, and he loves it, and he helps it, and he made it. You say, why? because God created you. He formed you. He knows what your heart needs. Your heart doesn't need a fling. Your heart doesn't need drugs. Your heart doesn't need alcohol. Your heart doesn't need a funny movie. What your heart needs is to get close to its father, to its creator, its maker, the one who can heal it and the one that knows what your heart needs. That's what God does. So don't run from grief. Embrace it. Don't isolate yourself. Ask for help. And then understand this too shall pass. I know you're in a season. And you say, I don't know. It's tough. It's been difficult. We've been in the season for a long time. This too shall pass. It's hard. You're in a season, your relationship and your marriage, and you say, I don't know if we're going to make it. This too shall pass. You're in a season with your children. You say, I don't, I don't know. This too shall pass. You're in a season. You say, I just can't seem to get a job anywhere. This too shall pass. You say, I'm just so discouraged. I don't know if God still loves me. This too shall pass. I love the Bible where it says, and it came to pass. This came to pass. It came, so why? So it could pass. It's a season. It's a moment of time. It's a season that's going to be here. And so God wants us to get everything out of this season to truly live hurt and all to say, you know what? I am human and to be human means I'm not a robot. I can't just turn off my emotions. So some of us, you're repressing your emotions. You're repressing your feelings. And God is saying, no, 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 I put those there. That's, that's the indicator light. So say something is going on at a deeper level. And so if we're going to deal with the ghost of grudges, we have to let go and forgive. But if we're going to deal with the ghost of grief, I have to trust God with my broken heart. And number three, if I'm going to deal with the ghost of guilt, I have to let go of my guilt and I need to receive God's forgiveness. You know what I've learned? And maybe you're the same way. It's easier for me to forgive those who've hurt me than for me to forgive me. Is it the same with you? You can forgive everybody else, but you have a hard time forgiving yourself. Some of you wear the guilt of the past. And here's why. Because you feel like the guilt is actually what you deserve as punishment for what you did. You feel like that guilt, you deserve it. You feel like I have to 
feel this way because I don't deserve to feel joy. I don't deserve to feel happiness. What I've done, I don't deserve it. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve God's love, but we have it. And some of us need to stop praying our prayers and change them and say, God, help me to feel your love today. Help me to feel that you smile upon me today. Help me to know that when you look at me, you see righteousness. You don't see sin. You don't see my mistakes. You don't see my shortcomings. You don't see my failures and my flaws. You only see who I am. What too often happens is we look in the mirror and we're like, I don't like that person that I see. I don't like what I see. And not we're just talking about the body image. We're talking about a soul level. And what we've done in the past, there's things we're embarrassed by. There's things we're ashamed of. And we look back and we're like, man, if I could do it all over again. And we wear the guilt in our life. You see, when you hurt someone and you're experiencing a feeling of personal judgment, that's guilt. And guilt is the ghost we feel like we deserve. But understand, there's two types of guilt. There's the godly guilt And maybe you've never heard that. There's godly guilt. And then there's what I would call a demonic or a satanic type of guilt. Let me break down the two. Godly guilt is temporary. Godly guilt is temporary. You see, God will use guilt in your life to teach you. But once you've learned the lesson, the guilt goes away. Once you've confessed and forsaken it, then God says, I'm removing the guilt. You've come back. It's like you as a parent. You as a parent will give a timeout. You as a parent may give a little paddle. You as a parent may take away a toy. You as a parent may say you are grounded. You as a parent may say, hey, we are going to go on this activity. You're not going. Why? You want them to understand the weight of the lesson. And so you take something away. So they feel a little bit of guilt. Then you come back and you say, hey, I do not enjoy punishing you. I don't enjoy that. As a parent, I want to bless you. I want to fill your life with joy, but I'm here to help you become a healthy individual. So when you do wrong, there are consequences, but guess what? You paid the price. The consequence is over. Mommy and daddy love you. Let's restore the relationship. The guilt is over. And then there's restoration. And parents, if you are not doing restoration after discipline, you're creating a huge divide that's ever widening. What happens when parents don't ever restore? Many times we parents, we're good at discipline, but we're not good at saying, hey, the discipline's over. I love you. What you did does not change how I feel about you. I don't like what you did, but I love you. I love you with all my heart and I would do anything for you, but I do not love what you did. And the child needs to know that. They need to know that, guess what? I don't judge you anymore, that it's past. I love you and I accept you. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. He accepts us and he loves us. That's what godly guilt does. It comes to pass. Godly guilt is temporary. You see, godly guilt is a warning side to get you back into your best life. That's what godly guilt is. God's trying to guide you. And some of you, you come to church, you're like, ah, I feel so much guilt. And the reason you keep experiencing guilt when you come back to church is because God is saying, hey, come on, let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. And as soon as you get back on track, guess what? The guilt goes away. But then we're like, oh, the guilt's gone. Let me go do something else dumb. And then we just kind of go right back into it. And God's like, there it is again. All right, here's a little bit of guilt. I'm trying to guide you back. But here's, when it comes to Satan, his guilt is a constant reminder That you are formed for failure. That's what Satan's guilt says. You're formed for failure. And some of you feel that. You actually, worse, you don't just feel it. You actually believe it. You'll even say things like, I always mess up. You don't always mess up. I ruin every relationship. You don't ruin every relationship. Where do those statements come from? Those aren't from God. Those are from the pit. 
That's not from what God wants you to believe. And some of us, we've so taken guilt and we so worn it. Now these ghosts are destroying us. They're haunting us because we're not dealing with the ghost, ghost of grudges or grief or guilt. And when it comes to this third and final uh, ghost, we need to let go of my guilt and I need to receive God's forgiveness. That when God forgives me, he washes me, he cleanses me, he makes me new, he forgives me, he washes away. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. And I love this. All things are become new. Newness. There's something about a new year. There's something about a new start. And God says, hey, do you want to do that today? Do you want to start all over? We can do that. When I come to church, Sunday's first day of the week. It's the beginning of the week. It's a fresh start. So don't run from the place. Come to the place where you say, God, I need a fresh start this week. I need fresh grace this week. I need to deal with my guilt this week. God, I'm not strong enough to carry this. God, I'm not strong enough to bear this. So God, I need something new today. And God says, that's what I want. Come here, my child. Let me bless you. Let me feel you. Let me love you. Let me make you feel valued. And some of you need to start praying, God, help me to feel my worth because I don't feel it right now. And let God pour into his into that deep cavern that seems so empty and void. And God will pour in his love. He will pour in his joy. He'll pour in his peace. He'll pour in his happiness. He will pour in his life. He will pour in his spirit. And he will fill that void that you've been trying to fill and all of a sudden you'll say I am a new creature I believe it I don't need the things of the old life I know that I can walk in this new life and these ghosts they don't have to haunt me anymore these ghosts can be busted and I can bust these ghosts and they're no longer a part of my life those ghosts are done they're eradicated they're gone I didn't need the ghostbusters I'm my own ghostbuster this morning I don't need it I've got the Holy Spirit that's the only ghost that's allowed in my life and God will do something great there's a story written by Charles Dickens. Any Charles Dickens fans in the house? A few of you. You like documentaries too, don't you? Yeah, I know you. He wrote a book entitled Great Expectations. Many of you probably had to read it for your literature class in high school or something. But there's a character. Her name is Miss Haversham. Miss Haversham was getting ready to get married. And at 8.40, her wedding was at 9 a.m., at 8.40, a note comes from her fiancé. And he said, I am ending this marriage. I will not marry you. She was so broken. And in that moment when she got the letter, she went to every clock in her home. And she stopped them at 8.40. Every clock, 8.40. She was halfway getting dressed. She had her wedding dress on, but only one shoe. So she didn't change. She didn't put on another shoe. In Charles Dickens' classic, she went the rest of her life and she only wore that wedding dress. 40 years later, the dress is worn and weathered and yellowed, and she never wore two shoes. She only wore one. The wedding food that was prepared for that day, she left it out. She never touched it. She let it mold and decay. We look at that story and say, how tragic. No, what's even more tragic is she looked for somebody that she could mentor. And so she found a girl. Her name was Estella. Estella was young and beautiful and she would have many suitors. But what Miss Haversham did was Miss Haversham passed on her pain to Estella. And she taught Estella that men will hurt you. Men will wound you. So you break it off before they do. So Estella, young and beautiful, a socialite in the day, and she would go from relationship to relationship. She would get close to you. She would break it off. 
finally, Estella confronts Miss Haversham and she says, you stole my heart away and you put ice in its place. Some of you, that's you. Somebody's passed on their pain to you. They abused you because they were abused. They yelled at you because they were yelled at. They hurt because they were hurt. You might want to write this down. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. You married a person that's hurting. Whether it's from your family of origin, whether it's from somebody in your past, and if you never deal with it, you are bound to pass on that pain like Miss Haversham passed it on to Estella. And Estella never had joy in her life. She ended up just like Miss Haversham with the wedding dress she never took off that was yellowed and worn, hair that she never fixed, with a house that she never cleaned, where everything stopped at 840. Her life ended at 840. And for some of you, when the event happened to you, your life stopped. Oh, you've tried to fake it. You've tried to play the game. You tried. But every time you keep coming back to 840, there is no 9 a.m. There's no tomorrow. And you act like there is not a resurrection Sunday. That he didn't overcome the grave. That he didn't overcome death and the devil and disease. That he overcame all of it. He gives us a hope. He gives us a new life. Why? Because he overcame. And I know you're hurt this morning. And I know you're experiencing deep deep sorrow and pain, but it's time to come clean. It's time to say, Jesus, wash me, restore me, fill me, revive me. I need that from you. And God comes in and says, I will forgive you, my child. God will forgive you. Let's all stand. Dear Heavenly Father, there's ghosts in our lives. Oh, we don't tell anybody about these ghosts. Oh, we don't talk about these ghosts. These are ghosts we try to keep secret. We try to keep buried. We're ashamed of them. They're ghosts that are upsetting us. And Paul, at the end of his life, is saying, Timothy, I'm not going to pass on my pain to you. Timothy, deal with these ghosts. Don't let the grudges, the grief, and the guilt destroy you. This morning, I believe your Holy Spirit's trying to speak to us to not let these three ghosts destroy us. Help us to come free and find freedom in you. Help us to offer forgiveness, but yet also receive forgiveness. We love you. We need you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're coming back to God after a long time, or maybe you've never known God. You say, I want to start a relationship with him. Nobody's looking, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And this is a moment where the creator of the universe wants to speak to you. And you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to meet him today. How do I start a relationship with him? And maybe that's you. Maybe there's something that's happened in your heart. And you say, I feel something. I've never felt this, but it's the Holy Spirit. He's telling you that you need a relationship with Jesus, that he can fix the wound in your heart. And maybe that's you. And you're here this morning. You're saying, I need Jesus this morning. I need what he offers. And if that's you, you say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I've never had one that's you, would you slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Is there anybody like that? I see that hand, and that hand, and that hand, and that hand. Amen. Hands up all over. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray a little prayer, and you pray with me. As a matter of fact, church, let's all pray this together for the benefit of those who are coming back to God, and for those who are coming back and coming to God for the first time. Let's all pray this prayer together. Dear God, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to shed his blood, to wash my heart clean. 
I want to turn away from my old life. I need help with my ghosts. I pray that you would destroy them out of my life. Give me peace in my heart. Give me joy in my soul. Give me a new life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer, would you lift up your hands so we can celebrate with you? Amen. Amen. People are coming home. Lives are being restored. That's what happens at church. God bless you. Let's sing and let's worship. Amen. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. Man, so awesome. Powerful song. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Just a few announcements before we close out our service. God is doing so many wonderful and exciting things. And I just so honored and thrilled to talk to you about it. But first, if you're a first-time guest, welcome to our service. We want you to know that this is a place you belong. And please, please stop by our Connect tent. Uh, drop off your connection card. We've got a movie for you and whoever may have invited you. Or if you just came by yourself, stop by there. we got a movie ticket that we want to give to you and let you know how much we appreciate you. This is going to be going on throughout the uh, uh, the series. Every time you bring a first-time guest, it's why every week in your worship guide, there's a card to invite people. I went to Starbucks this week and I was going to put a invite card on the community bulletin board that they have and somebody beat me to the punch. There wasn't just one, there was two up there. And I was so excited to see our church people just going out. You can make a difference in somebody's life by simply putting an invite in their hand. So don't forget how you can make a big difference. Uh, Next Sunday, we want to invite you back. You say, yeah, of course, church. Yes, but then also we're doing a Heart for the House banquet. You saw inside of your worship guide, there's the uh, worship... uh, envelope. There's a, it says heart for the house. We're already getting ready. I know summer is one of those times where you're thinking summertime. This is not a good time to be trying to raise things up. I, I had to save up just to take a family vacation. I know that I'm right. I'm right there with you. Uh, right there with you. Like, Hey, what are we going to do? We're just going to trust the Lord to see what he's going to do. But then I told my wife, I said, you know, this week I was reading and I heard of the story in the old Testament about a widow. She had two sons and she goes to the prophet Elijah and says, Hey, I, I'm going to have to foreclose on my house. And I have to put my kids up for indentured servitude, slavery, so I can so I can live. And the prophet asked this question: What do you have in the house? And she said, "Don't did you not hear me? My husband's died. I got to sell my house. I've got to give up my kids. I'm, I'm a widow. There's nothing for me." And he said, "No, no. I, what do you have in your house?" He says, "I got a little bottle of oil." So the prophet says, "Okay, so go borrow a bunch of jars and bring them into your house." And then shut the door. And she said, I'm already in debt. You want me to borrow more? That's not how it works. But she obeys. And then she takes that little cruise of oil. And then you can see that she's got a little jar of oil. There's a little bit bigger jar. So, okay, I'm going I'm to just start pouring. So she starts pouring. And keeps pouring. And the little jar filled up a bigger jar. And she's like, that's crazy. I still got some more oil. So she finds a bigger jar and she starts pouring and it fills up a bigger jar. So she has a little bit more faith. She gets a bigger jar and she starts pouring a little bit more oil and she fills up all the jars in the house. It was a miracle. But the lesson of the story is this. The miracle was already in the house. It was already there the whole time. Some of you are looking around. Oh, I don't know what God's going to do. We got to buy these chairs. Got to get some new equipment. I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. The miracle's in the house. Touch your neighbor and say, the miracle's in the house. It's already there. God just made more of it. So you say, man, I don't even know if I got 40 bucks to buy one chair. God might provide. You'd be surprised. I can collect enough cans to get $40 in a week. 
if I really want to buy a chair. Because I know that I'll invite my neighbor. They're going to come to church and they're going to sit in that chair and they may hear the gospel. And like the five people that raised their hand today, they may have their life forever changed. That sounds like a great investment, $40 and see somebody's eternity change forever. $40 is well worth it. I'll pay $40 any day. Our church has said, we'll pay more than that. We'll pay $10,000. We'll drop eggs from the sky. We'll get Christmas trees. That's who our church is. Are we not? That's just who we are. So next Sunday you say, I don't know about a $25 ticket. Come on, 25 bucks. Buy a ticket. Come to the dinner. We got child care for ages four to 10. It starts next Sunday. Now, God is doing so much. We want to invite. This will be the first chance you get to see the building. No sneak peeks. No dropping in, trying to get in early. You come next Sunday for a special, special event. Honey, what do you got for us? In just a few minutes, as we continue to worship and giving, um, we were actually just talking about it. How many here are foodies? Like you guys like to eat. Um, and he and I have strong opinions when it comes to food. We would say like, oh man, you know, this place has the best tacos. I'm actually from San Diego. And I told him no place has better tacos than San Diego because we're so close to Mexico and the food there is just amazing. And, um, you know, we could say things like, oh, this place is the best tacos that I've ever had or the cheeseburgers are the worst or, you know, there's like good things and bad things. But, um, you know, there's another place where we actually freely share opinion. And it could be the church. Sometimes we could say things like, oh, you know, the method of preaching, the style of music, um, the programs. But there's just one problem between giving our opinion about a church or being a judge. It's just church is not a restaurant. And as I, you know, as I continue to think about this, Jesus said some things that should perhaps forever change the way we attend, think about. Or to paraphrase, he said that church isn't about getting something it's about being something and that one word being and going is it changes everything um in his one of his most famous sermon he said you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden and jesus didn't say i am the light of the world he said you are and when we think about that we are the church it changes our perspective and this is why we make such a big deal for people to financially support the mission of our church it's more than just attending we're switching from consumer to actually contributing and being a part of the mission of what god is doing here so today i want to invite you to be the church and not just be as a part of consuming oh you know what this church is good we feel good in here we've got air conditioning outside is probably what 88 degrees and we can think of those good things we've got good coffee here and we want to i want to encourage you to think Shift your perspective to actually be the church. We're here. We're contributing to what God is doing here. And we're here to support the mission of the church to see lives change. And those five people this morning, those lives are forever changed. And that's something we're always going to rejoice. That's what we're here. That's why people come early. People stay late. People are working in several, uh, several teams right now because of those five people. And those would not happen were it not for those. And also those who financially support this. So as the ushers come, I want to invite you in prayer. As we continue in giving, dear God, thank you for the message this morning about how can be, how we can be Ghostbusters, how we can actually be the people who would get rid of grief, guilt, and grudges. And as we continue to pray and as we continue to worship you today in giving, I pray for those who are financially supporting our church that you continue to bless them and provide for them. And even as a church, we take a big step of faith for this building. We don't know where that money is going to come from. We don't know all the details. And we even at this point might even wonder where would I get the money to even commit for this building. But as a reminder this morning that the 
that the resources are already in here. You've already provided for us. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to strengthen our faith, continue to strengthen us as we pass this and as our children see how we're um, how we're stepping out of faith to support what you're doing here at Southridge. I pray that you'll bless the remaining of this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.